Uh, hello and welcome to Canterbane. My name is Blessing, and as you heard, my yay is different wow. to your yay. Okay, <laughs> Blessing hate. took what I was going to say. You didn't take. You no, just okay. did. See, this is how the first is introduces okay. myself. Obviously, okay. I get priority. Thank okay. you. Okay. Hi, everyone. My name is Omolade, and I'm here to say Ashaku on the beat as well. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, it's just us in the studio today. There is no Nisha. There is no Dami. Dami, um, Nisha, we miss you. Please hurry back. Please hurry back. So this is Canterbame. This is a show where we talk about our life experiences as BAME students here in this little town of Canterbury. So for those of you who are still unaware of what the acronym means, and it's been several, several months, so I don't know why, but hey, uh, it stands for Black, Asian and Minority Ethnic. So Canterbame aims to be a platform for those who often feel that they're not represented. And those of you who also want to listen and learn about these experiences so if you'd like to follow the conversation today please check out our twitter at canterbane our instagram at canterbane and feel free to comment or at us because as we always say shadiness is encouraged and the follow is always appreciated why do you always do this i'm always appreciated it's appreciated okay it's appreciated but i thought something actually do you think it's like our one year anniversary soon because it's november but it's not it's the only anniversary since we like the idea of canterbury was born but we started in like february Oh man, I was but ready to like bring I, out some I cake. To, yeah, we got to. Well, where is it? Then? <laughs> well, I didn't bring it today, <laughs> clearly. But, but, but yeah, that complete. So why that complete? I, don't know, I just want to eat cake. Same actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're looking back at this year's Black History Month. We're discussing the events that we went to, the ones that we didn't, and what we'd like to see in the future. As University of Kent students, I'm sure those of you who are listening were really impressed by what occurred this year. We were particularly impressed. Um, and we actually have a few people in the studio who ran a few of those events who we'll actually be talking to later on. Um, but let's introduce you to our guests, first of all, if they'd like to introduce themselves. Guest number we one. We have guest number one, who is... Hi, it's Grady, your boy. We're up in the middle ground. Um, I had plans tonight, but I came out to show up for okay. my oh, sisters at Canterbury. so <laughs> Yeah, I had plans. Also, my plans were very different because our yeah, is very different. My plans were very good. So, okay. <laughs> this was strong with that. Yeah. Wow. Okay, and um, and a Canterbury second, but also a Canterbury first, we have a non BAME person in the studio Ooh. with us today. Um, we have Jessica Stone. Hi. Hi Jess. <laughs> I'm so I'm so honored. Um yeah, so, long time fan of Canterbane. Oh, so really excited to be here. Thanks. Appreciate Thanks for being our biggest cheerleader. Honestly, honestly. <laughs> um Jess is actually the per- person who drove Canterbane into existence. Mm-hmm. School, school. And uh, she I feel is like that's giving me a lot more credit. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if you hadn't told me to start to not to be on the air, well okay. Yeah, you know what? we'll do the history lesson another day but honestly <laughs> Jess was a very big encouraging force in Canterbury being born so we're very happy to have her and this is her first time on the show and we don't have a first time a song but we're working on that um, Ooh, but um, I'm gonna think of that yes when I get uh, Jess is not a BAME individual but she's here to actually talk about an event that she went to during Black History Month and the experience about the sorry I'll edit that out um, <laughs> the experience that she had and also how it was very educational 
and a good thing that she went. Um, and she's also here to provide some context because it was a very interesting event that she went to. Jess, what was it that you went to? Yeah, it was called um, it was called Striking the Empire and it was uh, part of the London Literature Festival. It was a conversation between uh, Akala and the historian David Olusoga. Oh, who I met a few weeks ago. Did you really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so jealous. Oh, I really she wish I got a picture. I, I started fangirling. I started gushing. <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> Um, and we also have Stephanie and Namdi here if they want to get on a mic and say a little, a few words. Hello, hello. Um, I'm Namdi and... Hiya, I'm Stephanie. And what um, do you guys do? So we are from the West African Society, mm. um, a society that's here to educate and also entertain, you know, Canterbury and its West Africans and people who are also interested in the West African culture. Yeah, and just bringing more of that into life so more people know what West Africa is all about, basically. That's great, that's great. We'll actually be talking to them a little bit later on to talk about the events that they ran this month. So thank you guys. Thank you for being in the studio. We also have somebody else. Uh, Namdi and Stephanie are shadowing us, but also we have another shadowy. We have Joe in the studio. Joe, if you want to say hi. Joe's also about to start a show soon, so we look forward to hearing from him on CSR. It's a full house today actually. It so. is, yeah. I feel like it's been fuller at times, but you know. We're we're glad. It's nice. It's nice to have a full one studio. Less a full, full house where I was allowed to do my plans, but okay. Okay. Anyway, um so does anyone have any particular events that happen in Kent that they would like to start off talking about? Because I think one thing that I know a bit more about, because I'm not in Kent all the time, those of you who listen might not know this, but I'm not in Kent all the time. Um, one thing I'm aware of is a Black History Month show that um, I helped run at CSF, CSR FM this month. Um, it was a, basically an eight an eight episode series focusing on Black History Month and just uh, it was meant to elevate the voices of black students on campus give them a platform to just talk about whatever they felt was important for this month and definitely has been a very good experience experience um the next two episodes are actually coming out this week not actually this week sorry the when you hear this it'll be after oh sorry guys um but the next last two episodes will have come out by the time you hear this but they will be online and will be available to listen to um, the last episode actually discusses the importance of Black History Month, why we celebrate it, and the importance of the Black British movements that occurred. So it was very educational for me to do that episode this week. But what about you guys? Um, oh, okay. I guess maybe it might be worth giving like some context as to like Black History Month um, in Canterbury, or I guess at Kent University. So I guess this year I was like the leading person or the person over overlooking Black History Month out because of like she works the, for the man now. Yeah, I work for the man, yeah. Yeah. So I work for Kent Union and I'm like the, the um lead sub on like Black History Month. So um I worked with um the two BME officers, so KG and Davino, both veterans of Canterbury as well. Yeah. And the theme for the whole month was basically black and powerful, <laughs> celebrating black leadership because this year was like the I guess the first time we've had a very diverse team at Kent in terms of like the sabbatical team who are celebrating that. And one of the things that I, sorry, I guess I wanted to like shout out was, so I decided to start, I'm thinking of starting a, a um, special edition series for each Liberation Month. And to kick it off, I started one for um, Black History Month. And if you saw the cover, it had Sasha and Davino in front of it. And it was powerful, it was I cannot beautiful. lie. And basically, the whole entire um, <laughs> newspaper was just black writers writing about the experience and 
just telling their stories and that's what I am hoping to have for the rest of the year so when it comes to LGBT History Month doing a special edition for LGBT History Month and having students who identify within those liberation groups to write their stories as well um, but yeah and then there was also like the DHM show as well there was also an exhibition that happened in Keynes that was um, I, I guess I curated it but um, I got a alumni and she displayed her work in Keynes and it was really good and that's I guess some of the things we did at Ken Union oh and we also did like the creative showcase as well mm. yeah um, yeah um, you know um, I was also working <coughs> on those um, Black History Month shows with Blessing mm. and um, when we were thinking about topics I brought up the a masculinity topic that you know um, we did and that was a very special kind of moment for me um, just being in a room of um, men being able just to you know be vulnerable share their experiences and um, um, one of the one of the gentlemen that joined me um, Daniel um, um, really was just a great kind of um, um, situation because he was not even in Canterbury and he traveled all the way back from where he was just to be part of that discussion and opened up so much about his past and and kind of reaching the the kind of reaching the point that he has with you know um, in terms of his masculinity in terms of you know how he views it and being in a space where he wants to help you know more black men to express themselves more and um, share their emotion so and that was a a very great moment for me especially and also uh, another shout out to um, inquired uh, black history months um, 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 edition because um, I was in the room while they were working at that and curating it so I saw how much work they put into it and um, you know um, people like Cairo Jesse Emmanuel as well and um, did a, such a great job and also I was able to um, do a do a an issue do a do a kind of article for that as well so um really it was those were kind of the great moments as well but there was always something going on at campus as well mm-hmm. the Caribbean Society did them um, something so it was really I really love to see that there was so many things going on so many people can join in and and really go to learn so I was really you know happy with this Black History Month in Kent. So Stephanie Namdi um, what was held by the West African uh, Society? Union. I see society now. Oh, is it? It is. Yeah. See? Well, like fair. Can't even keep wow. up. Wow. Can't even keep up with your own societies. No more you. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Tell I'm not, us. I, I'm not familiar with what happened before, so I just know it as West oh. African society. I was actually doing some research for the Black History Month show, and it turns out the West African Union was um, actually something that was started in f- to, during... Uh, oh, what was it basically to represent West African students in London so it was actually oh. a thing that was started to represent West African students in London in the early 1900s and oh. then it began to represent the wider West African population in London and help them combat like against police like brutality and racism and stuff mm. like that oh, so, yeah. see that's a little Black History Month knowledge there yeah, yeah. thank yeah. you but yeah go on guys what, did you, what events did you guys hold this month um, it was a collaboration with Books to Africa um, mm. boop, Stephanie boop. is um, a member of Books to Africa as well. Would you like to explain what they do? Okay, so I am the volunteer coordinator for Books to Africa this year. What Books to Africa does is it's a it's an international charity. So they accept books. You know, people volunteer and they send in books that then get scanned. You know, put through the system and then get shipped out to countries in Africa. So it's really good. It's a really good way of kind of giving back from like everything I've learned, giving back to countries in Africa obviously while still being in the UK so yeah that's really useful and this year 
West African Society decided to partner up with Books to Africa to do a Black History Month kind of fundraiser event showcase type thing. So, and the fun part about that was it was bring a book for entry. So to gain entry, rather than having to pay for tickets, you just bring a book to donate to Books to Africa. So yeah, great turnout actually. It was mm. a massive success. Yeah. It was mm. quite good. Um, we had Nissity as well. Mm. Um, and I, I think her topic there was um, rather than being the stereotype, she said, so, you know, being black and probably most likely being deprived as well, that yeah. you shouldn't use that as an excuse to fail. Mm-hmm. I mean, you should see past that stereotypical stigma they've associated your skin color with and try to strive for greatness, you know. Yeah. Don't let your skin be a factor that brings you down and stuff. And it was, I mean, I say it now and you think it's something that, you know, you've heard a million times, like, oh, don't let your skin you know, pull you down. But going to talks, like I, I, I used to be quite against talks like this because I'm like, what are you going to tell me that I don't really know? But yeah. she told me what I know, but just from a different light, you know, and it kind of resonated with me even more. And I'm saying I'm, I'm one things don't really resonate with, you know, they bounce, mm, they, they, they don't bounce even bounce back. in, they just bounces <laughs> back. So if, if I took something from that, I think a lot more people probably did. So it, it was, yeah. it was, it was, it was quite good. It was yeah. quite good. She, she came to the event with a purpose and she said she wanted to trigger us basically. She wanted mm. to get everyone triggered, and I think she yeah, did she a pretty triggered. good job of that. Mm. But, I think, yeah. with, I think with also Nessie as well is that she's someone that you can easily connect with because yeah, although she might not, so she came from like from the same background as everybody else, but she had a more. So she went to like I think she went to Cambridge or Oxford. Yeah, Cambridge. Yeah, Cambridge. yeah, she went to like Cambridge, but I don't think she allows that to like influence her. Either. She she gives back to others, and that's why I really like her as a person. I really yeah. like the things that she always does as well. So yeah, I was quite proud of you guys for getting her down. Thank yeah. You. yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Mm. Oh, such a sweet moment. No, because <laughs> also, Books Africa has a place in my heart. I kind of like. Oh, no, yes, yes. I was the president. Oh, Malade, wow. yeah, she yes, writes Books Africa hard. Yeah. Um, actually, I'm probably gonna. Uh, do you guys want to be involved? I know you. You probably know about the student media live stream, 24 hour live stream that is being held to raise money for Books Africa, and um, we CSR actually have uh, two hours during the night so that's 3 a.m to 5 a.m yeah. where we're going to be running like a little bit on the radio we're also going to be recorded so if you guys want to be involved in that that'd be great yeah. like actually come and be a part of it it's going to be early in the morning but it's just to continue on the whole 24 hours mm-hmm. basically so i have been in constant communication with macy she's mm. the one like heading yeah. this whole thing yeah yeah so it is just a 24-hour live broadcast to raise money for books to africa mm. and she said she needs like different societies to get involved, mm-hmm. you know, performance societies, yeah. everyone to just come and showcase what they do within Canterbury. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a really good platform to get like all the different societies out mm-hmm. there while still raising money for a yeah. good cause. Mm-hmm. So that is supposed to be in November, like late November, yes. 23rd, I believe. Yes. I'll, I'll 23rd. Yeah. yeah. 23rd of November. He's also it's a drummer massive. as well. Yeah. He's also a ah. drummer. Come mm. on. Yes. So, Lately, That's she's great. been going to the warehouse with us for book scanning to mm-hmm. film, you know, mm. to see what we do so people can have a feel of what it's like to be mm. a volunteer at Books Africa. Mm. So, really excited for that. And I know that mm. she's really big on wanting to get the peop- the voices of people who obviously uh, know, of who are from Africa, who yeah. are from the countries, like, involved. She doesn't just want to be someone who raises money. She wants mm-hmm. to actually involve people. So yeah. I think that's really important. And I'm currently looking for hosts who want to be involved in that 3 a.m. to 5 a.m. slot 
if yeah. you like if you like being up early in the morning and want to be on the radio slash tv then please I'll contact me yes ah uh, yes but um did anyone see anything did anyone go to any events that were happening in london because i know that kent had a lot going on but there were also some things that were happening in london this month that were really good mm. i mean i actually went to an event this weekend it wasn't i guess it wasn't in black history month because um yesterday was the, was the second of november no yesterday was the third of november so it wasn't really in black history month but the event was really really nice i went with my friend um adiva and it was basically called studying while black and it was um a link conversation with um dr victoria shibumi um and she's like a um she's a um, lecturer in ucl and it was held by other students as well who a student who actually went to kent and another student who um goes to warwick and it's basically about um getting black women and women of color in a room and talking about like the, the experiences of studying at university and um, in education, trying to get us to be vulnerable and talk about experiences, but also find solutions as well to um, helping us whenever we go back to our institutions of studying and like thinking of like our welfare and our mental health as well. Because I think there is, um, when you come to university as a black person, it is a very, very different experience, regardless of like where you're from around the world. It can be a very, very different experience if you're a home student or an international student. And obviously with that can also influence your mental health. And I think that conversation was so useful because it wasn't just students but there were also women from across the world so there were three women from brazil as well and they were talking about their experience of being in the uk and coming to a country where english isn't their first language but trying to simulate and everything else there were also people from warwick there were people who also studied at the university as well just talking about the experience it was really good really really good i would recommend anyone to like because i know they're going to do another forum probably later in the spring term so i'd recommend everyone just keep an eye on for it but it was really good oh great yeah. i went to um a black history month talk held by channel four at, mm. at the house of uh, house of parliament which is mm. actually really cool um that was something i got after my work experience um placement that someone put me in contact with them and told me that i should go and mm. you know have a good time and it was just a general talk it was a panel discussion um, that involved black individuals who work in TV, who have produced um, like recognizable works in TV, just talking about their experiences. So there was Trix Worrell, who um, is the creator of Desmond, uh, the writing creator of Desmond, um, and there were two other panelists, I can't remember their names right now, but they basically talked about their experiences of being black and working in the television industry. Um, the good things and also the discrimination they'd faced, but also the work that they had done and that w the work that needs to be done to make sure that diversity and inclusivity continues within that industry. And I think it was just really important as someone who's interested in that field in terms of like future mm. career, just having people discuss. And also because of the after the pandemic, we got to discuss and network with like a bunch of individuals the panelists and other people who were there it was just a good space like to meet a bunch of amazing people with similar interests and just similar drives and goals and passions and then in fact i ended up making like contacts and people who are coming going to be on canterbury in a few weeks mm. and also i met another one of the people i met at another thing which was like um being black and being working within radio which is another event i went to like a week mm. or so later and it was just a great experience like a great networking and just a nice way to just come together i think that's what i like about a lot of these black history month events mm. it's like education but it's also at the same time you bring people together and mm. you form links and it's just like a i see you too you're also doing the thing and like it's just it's just it's nice i think one key thing i actually really love about black history month is that it's a good time to also network with people and meet other people and you realize how 
vast and diverse we are as well when you meet other people who are in different yes, fields yeah. who are from different cultures different backgrounds as well and you realize how being black as well is not a monolith obviously we all know that but when you meet other people from different cultures different backgrounds from different parts of the world and you see how diverse our race is it i think it makes you appreciate your history and it makes you celebrate yourself more and want to you know keep going on after october not just leaving in october and you know yeah yeah no definitely um, Grady, did you go to anything, any events in London or anything outside of Kent? Um, <laughs> you stayed in Kent. I mean, fair. You got um, you got work to do here. Yeah, I'm um, I'm not a traveller, <laughs> <laughs> but you came from Ireland. Yeah, and that's like one trip. <laughs> like I was in Ireland for like a week during Black History Month, mm. handling some business. So mm. you make, you really make yourself sound like you're like a busy, busy man. You don't know his life. That's true. Thank too. you, guys. <laughs> That's true to yourself. Well. Did you go to any Black History Month events in Canterbury though? Um, um, oh no. yeah, no, no, sorry. I literally, I literally wasn't able to because, like, <laughs> literally, like, uh, like I was either preparing for again the business I had to do with Ireland, <laughs> and then I had to go to Ireland, and then I literally had to come back and I had to do an essay. So I literally did not like. What? Yeah. Oh, but at least you got involved in the BHM show. That's yeah. one thing that you did. I literally, I, yeah. I, did, I literally, because it was a, a talk that you did, um, Black Leadership. Oh, I, I didn't do it. It actually got cancelled. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't here. I was in a conference. Okay. Yeah, so I had to cancel it. Because uh, I was going to, I was literally going to go to, I was wanted to go to that one. Mm-hmm. And then um, my essay turned out to be harder than I expected. So. Oh, it's tough. That's it's tough. the way sometimes. The life of politics and history. <laughs> <laughs> but Jess, uh, you went to something in London that you talked about briefly. I did, yeah. Um, I had, uh, well, I wanted to go to the London Literature Festival anyway. Um, and partly because my... Uh, literary hero Marilyn Robinson was was talking at one of the events, but the the day's events I went on a Saturday culminated in this conversation between hip hop artist Akala and the historian David Olusoga, and um, I was pleased that I got tickets for that. It was um, it was a huge event. I mean, it was the sort of the big you know, the culmination of that day's events. It was in the Royal Festival Hall um, at the South Bank Centre. Uh, I think I'm supposed to credit, every time I talk about them, I'm supposed to credit them as the South Bank Centre's 12th London Literature Festival, or something like that. Um, anyway, it had the big Royal Festival Hall, uh, loads of people, a mix of ages and colours and accents, and um, and there was a real sense of actual buoyancy. It was, uh, it was such a, it was such a lively feeling there everybody seemed so happy to be there and um after the event i just went around with my uh with my little recorder um because i had got press passes <laughs> so <laughs> i felt like i ought to do a little bit of journalism and uh, <laughs> um yeah the, the thing was uh, you know after the event as as is common at literature festivals um there's a queue for book signings and so there was a massive massive queue uh, for for people to get their books uh, signed by uh, uh, both of those gentlemen, so I took advantage of all those people stuck in a queue and uh, and asked them if they could maybe talk to me about things that stood out to them, because you could tell it was such a great conversation starter. I mean, people were not just talking about their lives or whatever; they were talking about what they had just heard and what that was making them think about and. You know, everybody had a story that had, you know, they had been reminded of having heard a particular point or um, 
so yeah, so I got a f- I I got some feedback. I don't know, Blessing, if you wanted to. Um, yeah, let's play, play that, that now. now. Maybe that sounds like a great little segue. Um, so this DJ, is play that track. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I try and do a switch transition, it's just like nope. Uh, Okay, so this is um, some of reactions to the empire to striking the empire. I'm a teacher and a blogger about race and identity um, and I really really liked um, the point that David made about the idea of us not being able to potentially perceive uh, a form of Britishness that's not a form of whiteness um, and the intersection between class and race is a really interesting one to navigate um, and I thought that the talk was really informative about those things and how we needed to start rethinking the way that we the, the way that we talk about race, the way that we talk about class and that the linguistic tricks that we use um, to kind of continue to other people um, and that being something that we need to tackle in our society. Um, hi, my name's Cleo. Um, I'm 23 years old. Um, and I think one of the biggest things that I got from Akara and David's talk about striking the empire um, is about education. And I think one of the biggest things for me is that Um, We often feel like we have to educate the majority, which I guess in Britain is kind of a white majority, but I think one of the biggest things is also empowering ourselves and really understanding our history and being able to um, equip ourselves with with a sense of, I know where I'm coming from, I have certain kind of... Um, facts and figures and information that I can use to kind of battle often these kind of stereotypes that even we ourselves kind of are like indoctrinated with Um, and I think that was really powerful and it's just nice to be reminded of that especially as someone who's like mixed race and and definitely has grown up in a kind of very white uh, majority and it's nice to kind of be reminded that like you can be your biggest um, kind of your biggest and most powerful kind of savior in this sense of kind of empowering yourself. Okay, so my name is Omolade Adeniji. Um, I'm Nigerian. So basically I've read, uh, I haven't really read any of Akala's books, but I follow him on social media. I, like I'm really interested in his character. So I'm now like I'm of the mind to go and read his books. But I read David, I've, I've read Black and British and a couple of other David of uh, his books. And um, yeah, I thought it was really interesting. I, I caught the little, like they were dropping in little gems from their books, respectively, that I caught, like specifically the facts. And um, I just think that basically what they're doing is really important because representation matters. Or like he brought up, like the face of Britain is changing. And so it's gone to now it's a, it's a mixed, like there's a demographic rising that's around like 30, 35% in the UK. So yeah, like I said, representation just really matters because without it, like he highlighted, people are kind of lost and they don't know, they make references but they don't, they don't get the background to it they don't understand the context so yeah, I just think um, that was a fantastic talk and um, yeah, like I really value what they're doing it's, it's, it's definitely like for me, I see it as I've always loved history, so for me like even as, uh, just to see that there's like a potential career path and it's so impressive for me because it shows that it can be done rather than just like something ideological. Um, hello, my name is Sarah and I came to this event because I'm a big fan of Akala, Akala's work. And one big thing that sticked out for me was um, about talking about the British Empire and um, I'm basically from um, a place called Somaliland and here, my friend here is going to contribute to that. So yeah, we came to, according to the title of the event, which is Strike in the Empire, um, it brought interest to us because I'm from a country called Somaliland in East Africa and 
it was part of the British Empire up to the 1960s, but it, w it hasn't got the recognition it deserves today, according to its safety and you know the lifestyle now there. And it was interesting to see the opinions and the diverse you know conversations they've had today about M um, Commonwealth countries around the world and countries relating to the empire, the British Empire today, yeah. Uh, hi, my name's Abashi. I think they were like, I don't know, everything was just sort of like, like, wow, like, you know, it's kind of like shedding light on topics that, like, in a way that I haven't kind of thought about before, but in a way that just makes, like, so much sense. Like, even the, we were talking about the smallest, like, sentence that David said about, like, how we were just saying we described ourselves as like first generation immigrants or second generation and he in the talk he was like you can't even be a first generation immigrant i mean because you didn't even immigrate from anywhere you were always here and it was just like one tiny line but it kind of blew we both looked at each other blew our mind a bit because we were like oh my god that's so true we never thought about it hi my name is Ore. um i'm an english teacher so what really stood out to me were the um, comments that carla made about the education system um specifically he was talking about how um there's a narrative right now, currently in education in my school as well, about how we've apparently failed working class white kids. And there's a really big push on, you know, including them more and trying to make the curriculum, I don't know, uh, more accessible to them, which for me was shocking, but I couldn't put, quite put my finger on why I was so uncomfortable with the idea that it was just this specific, you know, section of society that we've supposedly failed. But what Akala said today, um, which was basically talking about how it's only a failure in comparison to the fact that um, the people of colour, you know, children of colour from African, uh, Caribbean, Asian backgrounds are doing so much better. So now the government supposedly cares, whereas they didn't care when it was um, being compared to the middle class white kids. Had they, you know, they've been falling behind for years and there's nothing been said. So that really put it into perspective for me. And I thought that was really, just really well put and very, yeah, very engaging. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> that's, that's quite a bit. <laughs> no, uh, I think it's just really like, yeah. I mean, could you explain? Obviously, there's a, probably a bit of context that needs to be had about like, I think one of the girls said um, something to do with uh, like language and yeah, yeah yeah one of the things that they pointed out um, were the linguistic tricks that are often used to perpetuate um, uh, racism in, in in different forms and uh, I think one of the popular examples given that got a big laugh was uh, was tea like that we we call like English breakfast tea or Yorkshire tea and um, like England doesn't grow tea <laughs> like there's no you know there is no English tea there is only Asian tea mm -hmm. um, so th there was I think the the way they deliver it, I mean, I'm really sorry that I'm delivering that second hand because mm. the way they deliver it, it got a really big laugh. Mm. <laughs> um, but uh, I think another one that's that um, was probably mentioned during the talk, it certainly comes up a lot anyway, was um, the way the word immigrant is used as opposed to the word expat. Mm. Right. Because whenever white people move abroad, they're expats, not immigrants. That's what they call people in Spain. Like yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. The English people that move yeah. to somewhere yeah. in Europe are expats. Mm. Yeah. Mm. In fact, I mean, yeah, I was just hearing a story recently about uh, somebody's parents who um, who spend most of their year in Portugal now that they're retired. But um, like they voted for Brexit because they don't even like they don't even see themselves as immigrants, mm. even though, <laughs> oh. you know, it's really um it, yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I even had um, 
I had a couple of people uh, who were giving us advice. So my husband and I are house hunting at the moment, and we've been looking kind of in lots of different areas. And somebody gave us the advice, and I'm I'm just uh, I'm actually I'm so sorry to even um, repeat this, um, but had told us to avoid a certain area of of Kent because there were more immigrants there and therefore more crime. And um, and first of all, factually, that's not a true association. I just want to point that out really quickly. But also what was weird about that, besides it being uh, shameful in and of itself, was it, they said that to two immigrants. Like my husband and I are both immigrants here. Mm. Um, and they said that to us without... Um, you know, it was obvious that they were not including us mm. in what they were saying were immigrants, mm. and so therefore, you know, you, you've got to you've got to wonder how they're mm. defining. Right. That. I think that realization that you just, I guess, had is the realization that I expect a lot of white people to have when it comes to race, mm. in that whiteness is the norm, yeah. and even like the word immigrant or like that is made, made you to feel like the other but with you you identifying as an immigrant you can never feel like the other because you'll always be the norm because of the color of your skin if you get what i mean yeah it's yeah. interesting that that person attributed immigrant to someone who's non-white yeah i yeah. didn't even think about the fact that there can be white immigrants as well mm. as if immigrant there's like a a negative connotation with immigrant is what they were mm. implying yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I just think that it's um because I think that there's like the only time like whiteness was associated with with immigrants was um, back ages ago when you know you have you had like a lot of people moving around the globe and but like now um, you know when like from the from the Windrush um, era it was just kind of like you know secluded to these people that are immigrants now and mm. these people are kind of like allowed to move and it, mm. and I, even the fact that you know Im- like the the idea of immigrants is like you're not allowed to move you mm. just kind of showed up here you just mm. came here and now you're crowding our space mm. is kind of also why they put it such a negative connotation mm. on it and why they kind of place it on us or people mm. you know um, of color mm. you know. so there's even the connotation of even like freedom as well you can mm. freely move wherever you want to move and always feel included as opposed to someone who might be um, non-white move to an area and never feel included never feel um as part of like the community because you always feel like the other you will always be categorized and as, as an other regardless right. of even if people might like you but they will always at the end of the day people will always see you as the other they'll yeah. never include you in like society yeah, yeah. that sounds exhausting it, yeah. Is. Yeah, it is exhausting. it is very exhausting, yeah. it is exhausting. i was actually saying it's it like so um i went to like a counselor um earlier this week and i was talking to her about like my experience working and all that kind of stuff and she was like aren't you exhausted and I was like yes I'm very exhausted like it's very very frustrating in certain situations where I'm always in where I have to explain myself or repeat things or having to like explain things con- constantly and I was even saying it as well this Saturday when I went to the talk it's very very exhausting being um, a, like a non-white person in, in a space where there's a lot of white people because mm. it's it gets very very draining that like you sort of have to shrink yourself yeah. and a lot of the women in the talk were actually saying about how they've had to shrink themselves in their work of um, like in school or even like in their workplace because whenever they try to like explain no one would ever understand or as much as they try to dumb it down no one would ever understand and then you don't want to affect your mental health and you just decide to just move on with life and never say anything so mm. yeah 
yeah, yeah. Mm. I hear that. Mm. Um, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Um, like even like you know, growing up where I grew up, um, my mother experienced that a lot. You know, when we moved from like one neighborhood to another neighborhood, and one experience she always tells me about that I actually witnessed was when she moved. We moved to a neighborhood, and she went for you know a housing uh, meeting, and it was her first housing meeting, and straight up there, the problem. Oh. All, all these black kids are making too much noise and everything and you know they all you know, they moved in and you know and this this woman said it so kind of freely and even the chairman didn't correct her or mm. even reprimand her and my mom had to stand up and say look if we're going to live in the same estate you have to represent us and defend us as much as you would them mm. it and and she kind of realized like you know she kind of saw then how much how the lines had just been drawn from straight up like you know and it was just a moment where if she didn't stand up for herself no one else in that room would mm. have and it's, and it's, I think that as a black person it becomes like that mm. a lot of the times if you don't stand up for yourself and check somebody no one else in the room will and that's kind of like the po- what we're trying to move on from mm. is that people are able to see these aggressions in these ways that we are addressed mm. and say that's not right you mm. can't just address someone who mm. just moved in mm. like but that. that also sorry quickly but that's also why black history month and events like this are important because it becomes tiring over time when a black person has to explain and explain and explain again and again and again because somebody hasn't been exposed to why this should be this way why this shouldn't be this way why you shouldn't say this why you should say this Mm. so that's why black history month itself and events like this are important because if education is out there and people are able to be experience these forms of education able to learn about the experiences and the importance and the history then they will themselves know and check themselves Mm. what is right and what isn't right and what they should and shouldn't do but yeah namdi what are you gonna say um um i was just going to ask Grady, because you did say we need to um, check people sometimes, and I think that's a very um, what's the word? Um, yeah, because um, I was. Uh, are we familiar with what happened with Ryanair this yes. this weekend? Yeah. Um, if you're not familiar with that, it was basically um, um, there was this white middle-aged middle-aged. I'll say probably 40, 50. Mm. I feel like he looks older. Yeah. Late 50. Yeah. I feel like it's he, vital that we get age. his exact age in order to tell the story. Yeah. <laughs> 50s? 50s? 57? 57? <laughs> 60. Right, let's just say someone, someone from... Uh, okay, el- older, oh, an older, elderly. Old, yeah. older, older, older an older man. Not frail, oh. though. Like, mm. yeah, oh, yeah. Still active. <laughs> <laughs> and he was, um, you know, insulting this um, other older black lady mm. and there was no action taken whatsoever and um someone was saying if i was on that plane you know the plane wouldn't go anywhere wouldn't move blah 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 but then and this guy was a black guy as well and he that is him making a point right checking them but in a situation like that don't you think all that would happen is that black guy causing some form of nuisance just asked to leave the plane so how do you recommend to check things like this when they happen oh yeah that's um we're actually talking about that on um the middle ground at 6 p.m on fridays oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. um yeah I gotta, I gotta get my business out there let him plug himself <laughs> um and we were talking and we were talking about it and we were it was a very interesting conversation because you know cairo was on the side that there was n- there'll be no way that i would allow that to happen you know and he will jump in and everything and me you know because you know 
would, you know, the comment said I would rather just attend to the woman, you know, leave the man. And me, in the situation like that, it's very hard to have a dialogue, especially when there's a lot of angry minds in that space. However, I'm always looking at it from the point of view where if that was, he was causing commotion. Like, no matter how much you look at it, and based on that, he was causing commotion on another passenger. And that should be reprimanded, and that should be, and he should have lost his place on that on that on that plane, and it's and it's a, and it's a thing where I wouldn't go and just start shouting at somebody and braiding it because that just makes it more noise. But I would directly target that the person that's causing that, and I would try to at least bring him down to a level where it's like you need to understand that that's not right, and it's because that guy is within his own sense of ignorance in his own sense of i gonna do what i want i can't come but no you're not allowed to do what i want to shout at him again people when they're when pe- people are shouting at each other people get very defensive so it's the type of thing where it's it's hard but it's the type of thing where one he shouldn't have been on that been out staying on that plane but if he's going to stay on that plane he's going to they need the the, the people in china need to explain to him what he is doing is not right and it will not be tolerated and it's that kind of way in all honesty i feel like because he even did like an apology which I really thought was not even an apology not to be honest apology. it was just ridiculous he was like I would say to the lady if I saw her I'm really sorry for the things like no you're not sorry he's not sorry and clearly as well he said that he said those things because he was angry people say things that are like true or people show their, their true self whether they're under the influence or they're angry that's when they show their true selves and he clearly is a racist person okay I also feel like when I'm doing what I think you were trying to touch on was that is there like a sense of danger in trying to check people because you don't you don't want to then put yourself in danger and I think a lot of people in their place of work and even in, in institutions as well when you're the only black person you never want to because when you're the only black person and you want to check people and there's a whole room of people who will not understand where you're coming from there's a there's a fear in standing up and speaking up because mm. a lot of people don't have that 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 um, experience yeah. to do that yeah do you ever wish that like one of the white people in the room would do that oh yeah. Oh, yeah have you seen that clip <laughs> I think someone was oh. have you seen that clip where um, this American woman was was telling these um, um, women to get out of the of shopping mall for speaking um, in their native language mm. and this white woman came and said you cannot do that mm. leave mm. and the, the amount of like you know, a Doherty shot with the leave. Get out. And the woman left. And I was like, oh, my God, that's privilege versus privilege. Right. It's like, yeah. like, and like, I think one of the biggest grip my mom always had was she never stood up for herself in her, in her own job, mm. you know, because, again, she was the only black person in that, in that role. Mm. But also when she looked around, there was no one else was going to stand up for her. And you mm. would want, again, you want people of other um, mm. races to stand up for you mm. so that at least you know that you have a point because mm. I think a lot of black people might feel like mm. oh, they're, they're just kind of complaining and they don't mm. want to be seen as that black person that's just complaining right. mm. but it's the type of thing where you have to stand up for what you feel is not right mm. and the confidence you have to have the confidence while speaking about it and mm. whatever people say about you afterwards and they call you oh you're the you you stuck true to yourself mm. but I think there is a sense of doubt though when you do, oh, do yeah. that because I've had the experience where like I stood up for myself I stood up for what I believed in yeah. but then there are people that are then saying oh did you hear what she said yeah. oh I would have done it a different way yeah. and then you start to feel you start to feel doubt in yourself and think oh, yeah. oh maybe I should have done it in this way or if maybe if I didn't say anything or maybe if I just kept quiet nothing would be happening so yeah mm. but I look at that like that's harder on a black woman the, mm. the, how much how much people are going to come in and be all like oh, she should have done it this way mm. because again 
in those situations true kind of history and society you're already not meant to speak up you're mm. already amount meant to just lower yourself mm. so when you do speak up there's going to be so much more naysayers of kind of like you should have did it this way because they're trying to control you they're trying to get you back in that but again the only thing that you can speak is your truth mm. and how you perceive how you should do it mm. and people in hindsight can say oh you should have done it this way but in the moment I spoke about it the way how best I felt it should be spoken about mm. and no one should be faulted for doing that mm. because we all do it mm. but for when a black man, woman does it it's so much more worse than when anyone else does it going back to Jess's question as well um, I, th- I think it was like two episodes ago for Canterbury we were doing an episode on blackness and being Muslim and one of the girls in the room actually said that um, she tried to do like a march but it came stronger coming from a white person doing that march as opposed to her because people were more likely to listen to the white person than listen to her I mean she, she was, still did the march yeah she still did the march anyway. I think what uh, I think what Alicia was mm. trying to point out was the fact that when it comes from one of the people in the position of power privilege mm. it's taken as more of a serious yeah. thing because it's like when you're on that same level plane mm. I guess there's this acknowledgement like oh if you're saying it then it must be an issue mm. yeah I mm. feel like there's a there's a parallel there with uh, with sexism as well that mm. like that quite often if a man repeats a talking point <laughs> that mm. I've said that, and then suddenly it's like yeah. the, mm. the other men were like oh now I see you know mm. and it's like guys <laughs> um, but I do think that there's a like part of this is just that phenomenon that I'm sure we all know where we all we always know the perfect thing to have said after the fact right. and it's really hard in the moment to know exactly the right thing to say so that you're not escalating a situation but you're also um, but you're also confronting what needs to be confronting I know that that I am often pre- preoccupied with finding a good like go-to script for those sorts of m- moments in, uh, say, in a social gathering, and obviously, like I'd like, well, I'd like to think if there were like animosity involved, that there'd be no question about uh, how to mm. how to stop that step in or whatever. But quite often, it's um, it's really just ignorant, um, you know, a, a stray ignorant remark that has racist assumptions in there and they don't even realize it. They'd, they, mm. they'd be horrified mm. and think that, y- you know, and and sometimes sometimes just sort of a, a head tilt and a, hmm, really? Mm. <laughs> Can go a long way. Mm. But um, but yeah, but it's it's really hard to, mm. to know the right way to address something without um, being written off as the person who's going to stop the party in order to lecture Mm. everybody. I think one thing that is Mm. also something that sometimes you have to remember, because I know that from certain instances where I haven't said things, it's also weighed on my mind a lot more Mm. afterwards. So sometimes, even though, like, I'm not the biggest, like, I will fight you or I will I will yell at you, you but I will but when it comes down to it I know the things that are important and the things that I believe in so I'd like to when you think about the importance of those things and the things that are, will not stand and things that should not stand I think one thing you need to remember is that it might be uncomfortable and it might be awkward but at the same time you know this is not right mm. and it's hard when you're in a situation where it's just you and it seems to be just you versing like a group of yeah. other yeah. individuals but a lot of times when you do say something there, there ends up being one person who pipes up who's like yeah you know what she's actually right guys mm. this isn't the right thing because mm. all they needed was somebody else mm. unfortunately sometimes that has to end up being you yeah. Yeah. but isn't it also important that the reason why we speak up is to 
show what we kind of will not tolerate in a way. Yeah. Because if you kind of don't speak up, then they're going to keep on pushing it because they're going to like, I should have a problem with it. Mm. I think that's one thing I learned from childhood. If you do not speak up, true. people will still kind of pick on you and more and there more. There is a quote about that. It's like, they, oh, what is it? If I don't scream now, they'll kill me and tell everyone that I liked it or something like that. Mm. Basically, it's something. Basically, saying like if the, I will continue, if I keep on being quiet and being quiet, mm. by the time I die, they'll mm. just tell everybody that mm. I liked it. Mm. It's, oh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's it's oh. it's it's such a an important thing that we do speak up for that. Like I think it's the same thing why um, kids do get bullied. They always tell you to. They always tell them to speak up. And as a kid that got bullied and never spoke up, you understand the repercussions of that because if you don't speak up who's gonna know who's mm. gonna really like vouch for you in the moment when you do mm. speak up but it's already too late and, and it's, it's important for white people not to not to allow other white people to think that they're going along with it like, yeah that it's, that oh yeah that's very important yeah, yeah. if you call yourself an ally check your friends mm. and family people I think a lot of people also don't want to take that sense of responsibility. And I'm not even just saying, like, white people, but even all of us as well. There are times when we never want to take a sense of responsibility for other people. Right. So, like, like taking, like putting another way, us in this room, um, actually, put it another way, I, as someone who doesn't identify as LGBT, I also have to make sure that I'm responsible for defending those who are LGBT in conversations as well. So if someone ever says anything, I can rightly say, no, that's not right. Don't say that. Or yeah. that's disrespectful. Don't say that. And I think that's the same way white people have to look at race. Or even in situations where they don't identify with someone, they also have to have that sense of responsibility. So, yeah. yeah. I think when you call yourself an ally, even if you don't call yourself an ally, it's about action. So you yes. can't just passively yes. sit there. Especially yeah. if you do call yourself mm. an ally, you have yeah. to be active in what you, what when you're around people, what will and will not stand. Mm. Mm-hmm. So think yeah. about mm-hmm. humanity if we're you know um, a race and we talk about for the good of humanity and you're going to allow yourself to be silent it's just it's you cannot call yourself a good Samaritan or could you allow mm-hmm. that to happen I, I think what was what's the saying that um, silence is um, silence is more powerful no not oh, that one like when a good man is silent he um, I love quotes. He, oh. When a good man is silent, he he lets he lets causes more bad things. I, know, I, th- I thought you were going with the like never be silent. Uh, like, I what was it? Silence is always pretty, in favor of the oppressor or something. But, but, yeah. uh, no, it's not bitch. that one. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty much one of those ones where it's like where it's like ah, uh, but it's mostly applied to like if you do a crime with somebody, but you don't, you know. Speak out, mm. you're pretty much in a, in a uh, an accomplice. Oh, like, okay. You're, okay. you're complicit. Yeah, yeah. you're compli- by not speaking mm. up, you're complicit mm. in mm. the mm-hmm. that you know you're complicit mm-hmm. in the wrongdoing because mm. you were there, you witnessed mm. it, you can speak up. <laughs> she was a she was a summon. She was giving me some church homes. Don't worry. Everyone, mm-hmm. always mm-hmm. homes. <laughs> Everyone always tells me about my homes. Everyone always tells me about my homes. Yeah. Like, I have a mm. feeling. Mm. Thank mm. you. Yeah, go on, Granny. Sorry about it. Yeah, but um, it's just it's uh, like again from my trip in Ireland I realized that so much mm. I had such a such a, a realization that you know I'm not going to say oh this was my fault but from not speaking up I made it so much more worse on myself because I didn't speak up everybody just kind of felt like nothing was wrong and then you just kind of end up in that situation so but at the same time, never blame yourself. Oh yeah, like of course that was not that. Of the, course, the wrong of course. that was done on you is of again course, the wrong of But you of know, those you, people, you know, you. you know what I mean. Like it's especially in that situation by you by you not speaking up, you're allowing people to be ignorant, and you're allowing mm-hmm. people just to kind of stay in that. 
well he didn't know like we didn't see nothing he didn't say nothing so like again that's why speaking up is so important again when no one else is going to speak up for you you have to speak up it's like one of those things i feel like i'm gonna write a blog post about in response to all the racist <laughs> things anyone ever said to me and i didn't respond uh, back just the I one yeah no, just like uh to the guy who said colin kaepernick was doing this just to get attention uh, you're wrong uh, to yeah. the girl who yeah, yeah whatever sorry actually that's gonna be too yeah. long if i did it for real it'll be too long i wonder is there time blessing for me to share like one more thing that uh yeah that, we have that a they few made we have a few minutes go for it well just one of the points that uh they really seem to emphasize actually so i know we just spent quite a bit of time talking about um sort of how to deal with individual kind of acts of, of racism and and how to confront that on an individual level but one of the things that they were really keen to highlight was um how much racism has been kind of instituted from on high mm-hmm. that's why it was called striking the empire and one of the examples they gave because we were talking about immigration earlier and you know the windrush generation uh who were not immigrants mm-hmm. <laughs> who were, uh, were migrants but not immigrants mm-hmm. um but they compared the experience of the Polish immigrants. So there are a lot of Polish immigrants in the post-war years. Yeah. And there was initially um, a backlash against them. Yeah. Uh, people uh, were, I don't know, afraid or didn't like all of, the, all of these Polish people coming over. And what the government did in response was do basically a PR campaign for them. Like they dropped leaflets in people's homes saying what the Polish have done for you. And like this, the, you know, <laughs> it's remarkable. I'm a history student, I've not heard of that. That is the most amazing thing. Wow. Yeah. So when you think like what they were willing to do for these white Polish immigrants who were, uh, who needed the PR campaign and what they were not willing to do yeah for the Windrush for black people yeah. the list you know like at the end of like 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 you know those um, special credits and it's like the, the it's going so long it's like oh, the, like when you check the receipt you're like I bought all like man I'm actually tired yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. like oh, but okay. yeah it's it's I, 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 I always look at like an institution justifies its nation's behavior so an institution can stop something, you know, at the at, at its root and say no, we're not mm. we're not gonna be a we like you know a lot of nations say we're not gonna be a nation of this or we're not gonna be a nation of that. So a nation, so an institution has, you know, the power to say we're not gonna be an, an, a nation that does this. And but I think as well, there's there's also action with that as well because not only did they say that they were not gonna they were not gonna be an, a nation that um, disrespected Polish people, there was also action with it as well. They yeah. also did a campaign as well. Right. I know that in the UK we like to do the whole we live in a post-racial society and we live in a free like a free speech country blah blah blah. blah. But really and truly, there's no action with it. Mm. If you look at if you look at discrimination, if you look at even look, if you look at like the attainment gap as well, if you look at many things our evidence of there's no action being put into it by most of the governments they're always talking about you know free speech talking mm-hmm. about you know equality and all that kind of stuff because really and truly there's no equality between any one of us in society regardless of race but even like class as well there's no equality so yeah because by the the object of getting an objection of getting equality is in the ter- especially in today's society is literally the job of rocking the boat you have to, again you, we, we, we've spoken about it tons of time if we were to the government were to actually put in the action to get equality they'll have to to scrap almost everything that that they have to break the foundation and really you know reset it 
because mm. we're kind we're trying to get equality by by building on what's already been set and we mm. can't do that we have as you know as you see in the talk we have to strip back away that foundation uh, mm. that causes these microaggressions that mm, causes these right. things and <laughs> literally re-establish it's it and that goes into sorry yeah. like, that goes into a discussion about institutional racism and um, when you fully examine the government and just culture and society you see that what it is built on mm. is racism and that if we were to do a complete restructuring like Grady was saying you can't always just you can't be building on the racist stuff that is underlying you gotta mm. completely go through mm. and break and strip it away starts with reparations can it give back all the gold I mean we were having mm. a discussion on a Cancer episode recently about how some people who are the descendants of slave owners are still earning mm. money from the government mm. like who, who are still and I'm still surprised at that that they're still mm. right they're still like Get, isn't like compensation for losing slaves or something mm. like yeah, that? Yeah, no, they like, yeah they compensated slave owners uh, mm. for the loss of their oh. slaves yeah. when mm. they were. But but uh, was, <laughs> when I when I when I when I read that I was like, what? Oh, it's the, it, it's sure. the craziest thing because again, the people who own slaves are powerful businessmen and they needed to appease those powers to get them to still kind of mm. subscribe to you know the way that the system. Namdi is probably going to be our final point of the episode. <laughs> no, um, I okay, so I I saw the Bank of England tweet and I was at first I was riled up about it. Sorry, what's the Bank of England tweet? The people um, when they said, um, "Are you um, thank you for your help? We finally paid off." Oh gosh, the, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sorry. Yeah. So um, and I thought to myself at, f- at first I was quite angry. How can you openly say this? This is abysmal. But then, if they didn't do that, where would we be right now? What do you mean? What do you so mean? if they didn't try to compensate these um, plantation owners, where would we be right now? I think the best way to put it is, if they, like, if they didn't come, because pretty again, any society is built upon you know its industry and its business, and these business people are like what, the same thing that happened in America with the Civil War. Yeah, these business people would have trended like right. the exact same thing. So it would have, it would have again. This is the thing about the hard road. Because the money that you literally spent paying off these business people, you could have helped uh, mm. black people to get them up to a level where you know we, they might have had better equality, better better financial representation. But because you had to appease the the people in power, the weak the people that were in weakness, you couldn't. And it's and even though so your society kept on moving and did not halt and get stopped, again, this is what I'm trying to say that they, they built upon the racism. Because yeah. they pretty much said, you know, we'll sweep all of the racism under the rug. We'll pay you to continue to, 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 to subscribe to to our society, and and then you build upon that and allow these people to lag behind. Right. But if you were really about, you know, th- that equality that you were fighting for, you would have said, okay, you're not going to get any money. We're going to start mm. this from scratch. We're not going to try to keep on moving so that we can mm. stay you know, economically viable. We're going mm. to try to figure this out mm. here and now because now we're having the problems here and now because people did not figure it out later. People mm. did not take the hard steps to to set up something I that was actually I viable. So you, yeah, I think point. as well, people know that those are the steps that they have to take. Whenever, even when institutional racism happens, when police brutality happens, most of the people in power know the steps to take. Oh yeah, but, but it's because money, it benefits, yeah, yeah, because it benefits them, they will not take that right step. And then years down the line, People will start talking about, oh, if this was done, then maybe we wouldn't be in this situation. Right. But people, regardless of whether it was 100 years ago, people knew the right steps to take. But because of 
their own selfishness and also for wealth and also power as yeah. well. And because it seems like the easy solution, exactly. now, the quick fix. Mm. Yeah. Grady, <laughs> Jess, Namdi, Stephanie, and also Joe, who's shadowing as well. Um, thank you guys for coming in today. Thank you guys for uh, joining and engaging this conversation. Mm. Thanks for letting uh, us be here. Thank you thank so you much. Yes. Um, this has been Canterbame, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Middle ground, 6 p.m. Friday. Oh, wow. <laughs>